Welcome to the State of Research podcast, brought to you by the Office of the Vice President for Research at Colorado State University. I'm your host, Mason Force, and with this podcast, I hope to bring to light the world-renowned research that takes place here at CSU. By interviewing researchers, we can demonstrate how discovering answers to complex questions is a journey filled with unique stories. Throughout this podcast, I hope you'll be inspired by these stories of determination and innovation that propel us into the future. This is The State of Research. On this episode, I'm interviewing Dr. Indrakshi Ray about her research into data security. Dr. Ray's work aims to protect valuable online information in an age where the internet is an increasingly significant element of our everyday lives. Over the course of our conversation, we'll discuss the importance of protecting data and the tricky compromise between convenience and security. Dr. Ray, it's a pleasure to meet you. Likewise. I understand you're an expert in data security, right? Is that most of what you do here at CSU? I wouldn't call my first, I wouldn't call myself an expert. No? I, I, I do work in the area of security and privacy. Mm-hmm. And um, originally I started working on uh, database security, but right now, you know, my research spans into other components of security, including network security, operating system security, and cyber physical system security. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons for doing that is that, you know, the attacker targets the weakest link in the chain. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the path of least resistance. And right. the, he's trying to kind of, you know, maximize his benefits. So in order to address security, you have to understand, you know, the whole spectrum. To make, you know, my research relevant to modern day, you know, the problems that in industries are having, I had to branch out into the other fields of cybersecurity. All right. So how did you get started? Did you initially go into just one field of cybersecurity? The way it started was that, you know, I started my PhD at George Mason, Mm -hmm. and uh, George Mason University is located in uh, Northern Virginia. Mm. And the department that I was working with, you know, had many people working in cybersecurity. And this was, you know, much before 911, you know, at that time, uh, being close to the national capital, uh, basically, and uh, the funding agencies, you know, they were all interested in, you know, cybersecurity, you know, all the uh, Department of Defense and other, uh, you know, federal organizations. They were interested for a long time, you know, in security. And so basically, by virtue of being in George Mason, you know, and my advisor was working in cybersecurity, so I kind of got pulled in. So tell me, how do you research data security? Do you try to exploit systems yourself or analyze them for weaknesses? I actually don't do that, uh, no. you know, and I did not start that way mm-hmm. either. You sort of try to understand, you know, from a th- theoretical point of view, you know, how systems work, find out, you know, where things are going wrong and, you know, what are the uh, new techniques that can be applied to protect the uh, data. So I started that way on a very theoretical footing. But because, you know, one of the purpose of research is to, like, come up with solutions to even problems that don't exist now. Anticipate but, future yeah, works. Yeah, future works, right? And so that's how I started, and that's where my uh, entire research spectrum has been, actually, you know, mm-hmm. trying to, you know, be ahead of the game. Having said that, my students are very much into making and breaking things. Right. Uh, just to give you an example, actually, you know, one of the work that I'm doing is on heavy vehicle security. That's not really data security, so to say. The idea is that all the trucks and uh, uh, trailers, tractors that you see out there, uh, they basically 
have a lot of you know embedded computers like all the components of the trucks major components are being controlled by embedded computers mm -hmm. and these embedded computers interact with each other through a network that's present in the truck so what happened was that you know one of my students uh, and we did some like toy examples of you know how we can kind of hack uh, trucks and you know, he was right. really into hacking. <laughs> Here we have you know some computers you know emulating the engine, some computers emulating the brakes. So we have a like kind of like mm -hmm. a pseudo setup on a very small scale. And with trucks, what happens is that you know all the trucks and trailers they have you know these different components manufactured by different manufacturers. So these components need to talk to each other, right? Because they have to coordinate. And so for the trucks, you know, they use uh, basically a standardized protocol called the J1939. So all, you know, all manufacturers must comply with those protocols to allow, you know, um, components from, from different systems. And my students actually showed how that J1939 protocol can be exploited to launch attacks. Uh, and this was totally in a, you know, in a lab setting. Right. And we published a paper. And then what happened was... They went out into the 2017 Cybertruck Challenge, which basically has 2017-18 like trucks, new trucks, which are mm -hmm. not there on the road. And they were able to actually carry out those attacks Ooh. on real-world trucks, <laughs> which basically caused the Society of Automotive Engineers you know, to revise the standards. Uh, so even things when we study you know, on a, from a theory perspective, you know, we can oftentimes you know, foresee what the problems are you know, without actually having to you know, lay our hands on, you know, real world systems and see, you know, what problems can be there, yeah. Wow. So I hear a lot about modern day high profile data breaches yes. and, and problems with security. Do you think yeah. people are just taking it more seriously in general now? They should be mm -hmm. because the consequences are pretty severe, actually, because uh, an attacker might pose to be you, actually, and, you know, you're credit ratings and things like that might go down and and there are real world inc incidents of such things actually happening you know uh, you know there are a lot of horror stories actually and how you know people have gotten implicated and how they were how much uh, effort they had to put in to get themselves exonerated actually so um, so those things are actually real they've happened mm. and so that's really very scary the other part is that you know now with the interconnected nature of the things and things like that attacks and problems always existed but now it's so easily accessible you know mm. uh, through the internet a lot of information is readily accessible then also the tools and techniques for hacking are out there as well and so um, the attacker has you know a lot of resources at his mm -hmm. disposal disposal and so we should be taking all of this kind of you know very seriously and sometimes you know there are organizations which have for them the resources are not a constraint at all actually you know they have lots of you know power and they can do what they feel like so of course people should be taking these things very seriously yeah I suppose if anybody's determined enough yeah. not many protections that can stand in the way right exactly and also you know like another problem like you know we hear about this phishing attacks you know where you just click a link and you, know, you give out all these information mm. and um, nowadays with social engineering these things are so much because they can like you know customize it for you and so you feel that you're talking with a real person mm. and another thing i've seen is that people post a lot of their information on social media actually and I, I've had this, you know, happen to uh, one of my uh, distant family members, actually. And, you know, 
uh, her husband had left for India and she was here with two kids and he was setting up home over there mm -hmm. and at that time you know they actually targeted her and she was of course you know with two kids she was like <laughs> very vulnerable and saying that you know the IRS is after you you immediately oh. she lost all the savings that way you know so it's like oh that's horrible yeah so wow. that those kind of things do happen like they mm. people know you know your weak points they know enough information about you and they don't have to do much and target you you know Uh, yeah. So yeah, so those things you have to be really worried about, you know, especially the, you know, the vulnerable population and um, the older generation, things like that. And, uh, you know, it's very hard to actually evade those. And sometimes we know that's not the right thing to do. But, you know, because all of us are so busy, we accidentally mm. click the link and things like that. And these things happened, actually. So it sounds like you're almost facing an impossible task to some extent. Data security is a yes, tricky subject. <laughs> it is a very tricky uh, subject because um, in my mind, you know, the human mind is the most complex, actually, you know. And when you are dealing with adversary who's, you know, out there to beat you and if through technology, you know, you almost know that you're not going to win. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, make it harder and harder for attackers, you know, to get to your, you know, yeah. So that will keep us in business, yeah. Do you have any specific projects you're working on right now? I know you did the truck thing. That was... Yeah, so th that was one project that we are working on and on heavy vehicle security. And now we are actually trying to build a test bed where, because people can't, you know, hack into the trucks and things like that, you know, because trucks are expensive equipments. And, you know, also for safety reasons, you know, you just can't let students do whatever they feel like, you know, their life <laughs> is at risk. So we are looking of how we can build a test bed, which is kind of virtual, where people can carry out their experiments and face a consequence and then do, you know, disclosure in a constrained manner to the manufacturers and the trucking industry and to researchers and things like that. So that's kind of like a, one of the projects that we are working on. We are also looking into, you know, oil and natural gas security. With respect to the cyber systems, you know, you have, uh, you know, your computers, they have certain kinds of lifespan and there are certain kinds of protocols. When you go into the like oil and natural gas, there they have equipments, you know, which have a much longer lifespan. Mm -hmm. They use much older protocols. And so, you know, the tools and techniques that you develop for cyber systems don't work there. So how can we, you know, protect cyber physical systems? And there you have to obey not only the cyber components, the physical components, which have a different, you know, obey laws of physics, there are human components, operators in, in, involved. So how do you basically make all of them kind of work? And so we are working with a um, company in Norway, actually, and seeing how you know we can protect them. Another uh, very interesting area that our group is working is on uh, where cybersecurity meets biology, actually, you know. So Ooh. we have DNAs and we have plasmid. These synthetic DNAs are generated in laboratory environments, right? And they are oftentimes shared with researchers across the nation. What happens is these synthetic DNAs, you know what they are because the DNA gets shipped off, you know, on its own and associated with it, you have a documentation where, you know, the documentation tells you what the DNA is about. What happens is, you know, the biologists are interested in producing the DNA. Sometimes the documentations are not updated. Mm -hmm. And also what happens is that where did this DNA originate from? Which lab? You know, there are IP rights and things like that involved as well. What we are trying to do is how about, you know, encoding some of that information in the DNA itself. For example, the laboratory that generated the DNA, you know, can we keep that information? What the DNA is about, you know, can we encode that information? 
and we want to put that inside the molecule itself wow. without changing the physical characteristics of the of mm -hmm. the DNA. So that is one project that is very exciting that's happening and we've been able to do that and the general cryptographic techniques don't work actually because we are dealing with bits over here. With the DNA we have ACGT, you know, we have four alphabets and it's circular in nature so we don't know where is the, where is the start, where is the end. And more importantly, you know, some of the things, you know, they change with time, actually. Like while you're shipping out the things, a little bit of change occurs. So how can you, you know, ensure all of this, the documentation and the origin of the DNA? How can we encode all of this inside the molecule? So we've carried out some experiments and we've been uh -huh. able to do that. And this is a joint project which, which we have with the biomedical people actually. Well, that's, that's fascinating when computer science is, merges yeah. with biomedical science. Yes, and so that's uh, one of the projects. Mm -hmm. Another project that we are doing with the University of Colorado and Schutz Medical Center is, so we have some hospitals in Colorado, you know, which mm -hmm. are generating data. Mm -hmm. And these data uh, and these hospitals oftentimes, you know, are in a competitive business competitive relationship because they want the same patients. And these uh, data must be given out to the researchers, actually. One thing that you have to make sure that these uh, data is given out to the researchers so that your identifying information is hidden. And these hospitals are not going to, you know, share a key or share the data because they are in a competitive relationship. And you don't want all of that to be stored in a trusted third party because then that third party becomes a source of mm -hmm. uh, attack. And you know, so basically, how can we come up with cryptographic mechanisms where the different entities are not sharing keys and the data goes to the researchers and at the same time, you know whether a patient comes to, uh, you know, belongs to these multiple hospitals because you need to correlate them. So that's one, another work that we are doing. We also have a laboratory on shifting gears on the Internet of Things. We have a smart home and oh, yeah. students are mm -hmm. studying how devices in the smart home can be compromised and, you know, what kind of protections that we can place in the smart home. And um, that's another very interesting project because in a smart home, you can't expect, you know, all people to be computer savvy and, no. you know, <laughs> and uh, you can launch attacks and things like that, you know. So how do we protect a smart home? What kind of access control uh, mechanisms must be in place? Mm -hmm. Suppose an attack were to occur, how can a smart home, you know, automatically uh, reconfigure itself? Right, right. Um, so if, if you have components that will say open your garage or unlock exactly. your front door, or even if you've got cameras all throughout your house, I suppose the more of this technology we utilize, the more vulnerable we are. Right? We are, exactly. Mm. And so so those are some of the uh, other projects that we are investigating. So back to the Internet of Things, I'm curious, yeah. would you do that personally? Would you have a house that could be unlocked remotely? Or does that idea kind of bother you? Does it seem a little too vulnerable? It is very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a question of functionality versus security, actually. I don't have um, a smart home. Right. <laughs> but... Having said that, like two weeks back, you know, there was a snowstorm in uh, Colorado, you know, and I was in D.C. actually. And the day before I left for D.C., it was like very hot. So what I did was, you know, I erroneously turned my heater off mm. and I went to D.C. And then I couldn't come back on time because of the blizzard. All the flights were canceled and I could not turn my thermostat remotely 
But when I came back, my water pipes broke, so I came back oh. into a so it's a so basically on the other hand, if I had the smart thermostat, you know, which I could operate remotely, you know, mm-hmm. this incident wouldn't have happened. So it's always this security and functionality, usability, performance. I mean, we ha- security, you know, like we have all these kind of pulls actually. So convenience versus security that's ongoing uh, kind of dilemma actually fortunately the kind of research that we are doing right now will basically address many of these issues and so then mm-hmm. it will basically be much easier for the user to use actually and making the users more educated and you know automated education by itself doesn't work actually because you know people don't have the time you know to get educated mm-hmm. these days but you know if we can have automated techniques which are going to you know plug the holes actually or you know, if something bad were to happen, automatically reconfigure the system, then we would be you know, in a good shape. And also, you know, kind of containing the, classifying the information into like various categories and you know, making sure you have, you have the proper access control and the proper controls in place, that would make things work actually. Yeah. So if we are actually striving towards you know, making things better and hopefully you know, uh, yeah. in a few years, you know, things will be much better than they are <laughs> at the moment, current moment, yeah. Well, that's reassuring. Yeah. Because moving forward, I'm sure this stuff is going to become a lot more common. Too. Yes. Everybody's going to have their smart blenders and their smart washing Absolutely. machines. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. We could also touch on CSU in general. Yes. How's the program here at CSU? What drew you to the university to begin with? That's a very interesting question, actually. When I first came here, you know, chose CSU primarily because I joined in, in 2000. I felt that the department was very collegial and, you know, people were very friendly. Mm. The time when I was interviewing, I had a very bad cold, actually. I literally couldn't, you know, (laughs) speak, actually. And both of us were, you know, me and my husband were going through high fever and things like that. So I couldn't speak. And one uh, faculty made me some tea and things like that. And, you know, made sure I was not talking too much and things Mm -hmm. like that. So I felt this department was very collegial, very homely. Mm -hmm. And the people were very smart. And I felt comfortable that I could work with uh, some of them. And there was an area in which I was interested in, like which was formal methods, and there were the department chair was from that area, and there were other uh, good faculty from that area. So that kind of you know drew me to CSU at that time. And of course, you know Colorado was very pretty. There was bright sunshine, and I was interviewing from Michigan, <laughs> and my interview was in December, and I saw people were biking, whereas <laughs> in Michigan typically that was not the case, you know. So you know I like this town, and was safe and secure, good place to raise. So. Everything fell into place. They fell into place, exactly, yeah. Has the program grown a whole lot since 2000? I would say um, the cybersecurity has grown, actually, because prime, uh, like last year we hired a chair who is very much passionate about cybersecurity, mm-hmm. and the state uh, has given us some funding to start new courses into cybersecurity. So uh, on the whole, Colorado is moving into a cybersecurity, so that's a positive direction. We have a cybersecurity center and we are going to, very shortly, we are going to offer customized courses on cybersecurity in the next, as early as next fall. And maybe there are plans for having, um, you know, a degree, a certificate and degree programs in cybersecurity. So that part is exciting. With computer science as a department, the enrollments have skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. In terms of number of faculty, we have not grown that much. We have had attrition in terms of retirement. Some faculty have left. We had had two unfortunate deaths. So... In the size of the faculty, we have not grown much actually at all, but the student body has grown. Cybersecurity is an upward trend, and students are very 
much into it now. Yeah. Well, for good reasons. So, it exactly. And so I get a lot of requests from the students and things like that, starting from undergraduate mm. up to, you know, postdocs. Honestly, I've, I can bite more than I can chew at this point. You know, I have so many students and they're so enthusiastic. I also feel guilty at times that I cannot devote, you know, as much time I would like to for each of these uh, students. Yeah. Mm. Well, I hope you find some kind of a balance moving forward. Yeah. And I really do appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Well, it's, uh, yeah, a it's a pleasure talking with you and it's a pleasure reaching out to other students. And that is all we have time for today. It was a fantastic opportunity to hear Dr. Ray's insights into data security and how the internet is becoming so widespread in places we might not expect. As always, I hope you've enjoyed listening to our conversation. Until next time on The State of Research.